Hey everyone, we're so glad that you have chosen to join with us for another Anthem Online. Uh, it is good to be here together as the community getting ready to worship. Yeah, if you guys are in the area or you're feeling like a long drive, come through. Uh, we're, we're here meeting in person live and we'd love to have you. Totally, and, and we are actually going to be going into part two of our series, Multiple Choice with Pastor Randy. Last week was amazing as we started part one. So hey, uh, we are ready for what God is going to do here this morning at Anthem. And we believe that God is here, that he works, that he moves when we worship, that he works not only here in the building with us, but also where you are in your own room with your family as you watch. So hey, as we head into the auditorium, gather around and let's worship together. Morning. So I'm going to ask you to do something that I don't often ask you to do in church, and that is take out your phones. So would you take out your phones? We're going to do a little multiple choice quiz just to kind of get us in the mindset for our camp meeting series called Multiple Choice. Now, the picture that's going to come up on the screen is going to give you instructions of what to do. So you can either take a picture of the QR code or you can open your browser and enter pollev.com slash L-O-U-C. pollev.com slash L-O-U-C. So give you just a minute to do that. If somebody's joining us on the broadcast, they can do this same thing as well. And you can't cheat, all right? We're in church. So you can't be Googling stuff and figuring out that way, uh, looking at your neighbor's phone. So we're going to take a five-question multiple-choice quiz. So I think we're ready now. So how long did the Hundred Years' War last? All right, so we got most people saying, not surprisingly, 100 years. All right, so let's stop that. Hundred Years' War lasted 116 years. <laughs> I don't know. I guess they were rounding down or something when they named it. So we didn't do so good on that one, so we're 0 for 1. All right, question number two. In which country does the material for Panama hats originate? So Panama hats, in which country does it originate? So, oh my goodness, Ecuador is way ahead of everybody else. All right, Ecuador is the correct answer. So we're one for one. In the 19th century, so many Panama hats were exported from Ecuador that they became, to Panama, that they became known as Panama hats. Number three. See, we're, from which animal do we get cat gut? You know, this is where, how they make violin strings and other things, I understand. So from which animal? Have mercy. Sheep. Okay. Uh, well, that would be correct. That's where we get it from, sheep and goats. So now we're two for three, right? Next question, number four. In which month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? No Googling now, all right? September, October, November, December, or they don't celebrate it. So which one? November. All right, November is correct. When they shifted from the Julian to the Gregorian calendar, it ended up in November rather than October. All right, and number five. The Canary Islands in the Atlantic are named after what animal? Canaries, seals, cockatiels, sparrows, or dogs? So after what animal are they named. All right, so we have not quite a tie, but canaries is the top. All right, so canaries is the wrong answer. <laughs> it's named after dogs. It comes from Insula, Insula Canaria, which is, <laughs> just took over, huh? <laughs> 
which is Latin, and the translation is Island of the Dogs. Well, we did a lot better than we did in first service. I tell you, first service, don't tell them, but it, was, it wasn't good. So. But at least this puts us in the mindset of thinking about multiple choice, because that's what we're doing this camp meeting. Each week, we're going to do another multiple choice exam and see where we stand as a group. So you stand at a crossroads. You've got to make a decision. How will you decide? Could be who to marry, could be what profession to enter, could be where to live, could be which job to take. How do you make that decision? Five choices this camp meeting series. Last week, option A was character. That moral, ethical fiber that makes us up. Now, character will not always answer your questions, but without character, you can get into deep weeds very quickly. So that's option A. Option B today can be boiled down to one word. And that word is counsel. Counsel. Who has your ear? Who are you listening to? I want to suggest to you that there has been no time in my life, not in my lifetime, when who we're listening to is more vital than today. People are listening to all kinds of stuff. And it's leading them to make all kinds of decisions. And it's leading to great damage in relationships and in our country. It's a rough time. So the question, who has your ear, is really an important question. Is it a wise person or just a smart one? Passionate person or just an angry person? Curious person or just a cynical person? A deep person or just a quick person? Who has your ear? Who are you listening to? The counsel you get will be formative in the decisions you make. So we're going to look at 1 Kings, Old Testament book of 1 Kings, for a story about a choice that was made because of counsel and wisdom. Rehoboam, let me set the stage just a little bit. Rehoboam is about to become king. He's the son and successor of Solomon. About to become king, and he has a question. So Jeroboam, different person, similar name, had gotten sideways with Solomon, had raced down to Egypt to hide out until Solomon died. When Solomon died, he came back because a prophet had said to him, kind of in an offhanded encounter, you're going to rule one day. So he came back to see what the lay of the land was. He came back right at the time when Rehoboam was about to be installed. So Rehoboam is continuing the Davidic dynasty. It started with Saul's, with all of his mood swings and his ups and downs. It continued with David, with all of his passion and music. It continued with Solomon, with all of his might and glory. And now it comes to Rehoboam. Rehoboam is about to make a decision that is so catastrophic that it will totally divide the nation. In fact, the 12 tribes of Israel will never be truly united again. That's the impact of the decision he makes. It's catastrophic. Now, the text will kind of put some of it off on God, which happens a lot in the Old Testament, but don't let Rehoboam wiggle out of responsibility because he makes the decision. So let's read the stories. 20 verses, it'll take us a minute, but it's worth the read. 1 Kings chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. 
So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My father's little finger, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, Come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord. To fulfill the word, the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. And by the way, the next verses, he still hasn't learned his lesson. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. So you see the, the splitting, the disintegration of the kingdom of Israel. And it's based on the decision that was guided by the wrong counsel. So that's my question to you. Who has your ear? As you stand at the fork in the road, who are you listening to? Now you've got to give it to Rehoboam for at least asking, realizing I need advice, I need wisdom in how to make this decision. But as I read the story, I think there are people in our worshiping community who are making decisions, who need counsel. So what can we learn for them from Rehoboam? I want to suggest to you from this story, there are three attributes you ought to make certain are possessed by the person who's in your ear, by the person you're listening to. The first one is this. Make sure they have capability. Make sure they have capability, ability, credibility, capacity, whatever you want to call it. Make sure they have it. Make sure they know what they're talking about. Now notice verse, verse 6 again, because that's where 
Rehoboam begins. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. So he turned to the people who knew. They are the ones who had lived and worked as part of Solomon's cabinet for many years, had faced many decisions, had encountered many difficulties, had watched the king make many decisions, and had seen the nation thrive. So they're the obvious ones. They know what they're talking about. And Rehoboam turns to them, how would you advise me to answer these people? In a stroke of genius, far ahead of their time, way ahead of their time, they say to Rehoboam, be a servant leader. We hear that term thrown about a lot in our damn time. That was not the term that was used then. Be a servant leader. Be kind to the people. Support them, care for them, love them. You do that, you will have their loyalty for the rest of your life. And the chronicler is clear in Rehoboam's reaction. He says, Rehoboam rejected their advice. The people who had capability, he said no. And he's not the last one who has said no to good advice. One who did that was David Bloom. Back in 2003, he was weekend co-host for the Today Show. He became embedded with the military troops in Operation Iraqi Freedom, spent time in Iraq as a journalist trying to capture what was happening there. As such, he found himself in a cramped confine of one of the army vehicles, down, scrunched down inside of that, taking every precaution necessary to make sure that he survived this war. Bloom was embedded and telling the story. And then he began to have pain. Real pain. Something was wrong. I want to read to you from, from the words of somebody who wrote about it at that time, Frederick Balfour, reporter with Business Week Online, writes this, Bloom consulted military doctors and described his symptoms over the phone to overseas physicians. So he talked to the ones who were around him. He called home and talked to doctors. They suspected DVT or deep vein thrombosis and advised him to seek proper medical attention. He ignored their advice, swallowed some aspirins, and kept on working, and on Sunday died of a pulmonary embolism, leaving behind a wife and three young daughters. He's talking to the people who have capability, capacity, training. They know what they're talking about, and they're saying, there's a problem here, a serious problem. What does verse 7 say? He rejected their advice. Instead, he turned to his peers. Now, we'll read a commentary quote in a minute that points out that the way the Hebrew writer characterizes them is disparaging. The best translation is he turned to the boys. The boys. Now, it's not as though the writer has something against teenagers because these are not teenagers. 1 Kings 14 tells us that when Rehoboam came to the throne, he was 41 years old. These people grew up with him. This is the boys. These aren't kids. These are middle-aged men in their day and time. He turns to them and asks their wisdom. They don't know. 
They grew up in the palace. They are kids of the court. They have have lived in the lap of luxury. They know what it's like to have power and wealth and influence. They don't want their lifestyle to change. They just want to get a deeper grip on that lifestyle. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know the first thing about governing. Now, the only thing I can imagine that's worse than getting counsel from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about is getting counsel from somebody who doesn't know that they don't know what they're talking about. And that's what happens here. They come at it with all the assurance, all the conviction, all the the passion of we are right. This is what you need to do. And they're dead wrong. If you're standing at the fork in the road thinking, I need some wisdom, I need some counsel, make sure whoever you're talking to has capability, capacity, credibility, ability. And beware of people who are trying to hold on to power, who have an axe to grind, or who have an agenda they're trying to push forward. Capability. Do you know what you're talking about? There's a second characteristic that jumps out at me from this story that you also want in somebody who gives you counsel. Not just capability, but objectivity. Rehoboam was not objective. This was his life. This was his kingdom. He was the one now who was going to have the story written about him. He had a lot of skin in this game. And it's very hard to have objectivity when you're that involved in the situation. But his peers didn't have objectivity. Their whole way of life is riding on this line. Who knows? Maybe maybe what they had by way of possessions, what they had by way of influence, by way of power. They too had a lot of skin in the game. They certainly had no objectivity. And because of that, Rehoboam is already allied with them. I want you to notice just two verses again, verse 6 again. Notice how it is that he says this. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? How would you advise me to answer these people? Once he's rejected their advice, down in verse 9, he goes to his peers. He asks them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? To the elders, what are you going to tell me so I can give them an answer? To his peers, how are we going to answer this? What are we going to do? We're in this together. There's no objectivity. And when you're facing a decision, a critical decision, objectivity is what you need. That's why surgeons don't operate on their family. That's why therapists don't do counseling with their kin. They lose objectivity. I was making a decision years ago, a critical decision. And I was really kind of just bunched up in a knot. I went to a friend of mine and I said, you know, I'm just really wrestling with this and what I should do. He looked at me and asked me one question. That clarified things for me. He said to me, Randy, what would you do if you had no fear? What would you do if you had no fear? I knew just like that what I would do. Just like that. I said, I would do this. 
He says, then you're not confused. This is not a problem of confusion. This is a problem of courage. You know what you want to do. Question is, do you have the courage to do it? It was a much more objective look at the issue I was wrestling with. What would you do if you had no fear? I remember a time, a key decision in my life. I had come out of college, been hired as a pastor in a local conference. If you happen to be part of the Seventh-day Adventist structure, you know that's the sisterhood of churches in a certain locale. Been hired. President was somebody that scared me. He really did. He was, I was, anyway, yeah. Um, so I asked him, okay, am I going to seminary? Yeah, you're going to seminary. So I get to finish my Master of Divinity. Yeah, absolutely. So a year later, he sent me to seminary. Halfway into it, he called me. It was never good when he called, but anyway, he called me. He said, Randy, we need you to come back. We've got a church here, got some things going on. Thank you, you can help us. We need you to come back. And I said, uh, what? Come back? I'm, I'm halfway done. Yeah, I know, but you can finish some other time. There are seminaries around here. You can find another place and do it here while you work. I'm like, what? What? And I was stumbling around trying to think of what to say. And the best I could manage in that moment was, can you give me a little time to pray about it, think about it? You know, if you don't know what to do, just ask that. What are they going to say? No, you can't pray about this. this is what, <laughs> just, you know, give me a little time to pray. And I prayed and I thought, and then I thought, I got to get some counsel. I got to get some wisdom. I got to ask some people. So I started asking my seminary professors. I talked to two gentlemen who had been senior pastors of the college church when I was in college. They, they all gave me the same counsel, exactly. They were objective. They weren't involved in it. There was one that I talked to who didn't have near as much objectivity. My dad, he told me the same thing. I talked to a seminary professor who would become the father-in-law for a dear friend of mine, Carl Hafner. And Dr. Grusbeck said to me, do not do that. If you do this, you will never finish your degree. And if they drop you, we, I, he said, will make sure you find another job. Now, I'll tell you, I can't tell you actually how much that clarified and encouraged me. I think the scariest phone call I made was when I called him back and said, you know, I, I'm not coming back. He said to me, there were two of us that they had sponsored the seminary. He said, we talked to Mike, too, and asked him to come back. He said no, and we dropped him. Okay. <laughs> I said, well, I'm sorry, but I'm not coming back. And somehow, by some mercy, I guess, they allowed me to finish. I cannot tell you how many times I've thought about that fork in the road and thought, if I had given in to my fear." If I hadn't sought counsel from people who knew what they were talking about and were objective, my life would have taken an entirely different trajectory. Entirely different. So when it comes to getting counsel, you not only want to have somebody who has capability, knows what they're talking about, you want to have somebody that has objectivity, is able to stand outside of it and look in and speak into your life. There's a third characteristic. Not just capability, not just objectivity, but thirdly, humility. 
humility. Now, maybe you read the stories. I read it through and you're sitting there thinking, where in the world did you see humility in that story? I sure didn't see humility. All I saw was arrogance. You would be right. In fact, this story is filled with raw, unbridled arrogance. So much so that it makes humility obvious by its absence. Because I look at the arrogance here and say, it can't be that. That doesn't help anyone. So what would be its opposite? It would be humility. Now I want to underline two places where the arrogance is clear. One pretty easy and the, the other rather vulgar. But you need to know what's in the story. So the first one is when his peers say to Rehoboam, tell him, my father whipped you with whips, I'll whip you with scorpions. He's not talking about the little creepy crawly things. Scorpions were whips, same kind of whips, except in all the tips of all the whip, they had embedded pieces of sharp metal and glass and stone so that when they whipped someone, it would flay their flesh, ripping out chunks of flesh from the body of the one whom they were whipping. So the peers are saying to Rehoboam, you need to rule by fear. Have them quaking in their sandals, scared to death of you. This is who has his ear. Second one is, is vulgar, honestly. That statement there, you tell them that my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. There's more to that than meets the eye. In fact, two brief comments from two scholars. First one, John Leung So, Old Testament scholar at Vanderbilt University, writes this. Rehoboam's companions derogatorily called the boys, even though they must have been about 40 years old, advocated an uncompromising approach, even urging Rehoboam to use what is probably a vulgar idiom. My little thing, and that's out of the commentary, is thicker than my father's loins. Most translators supply the word finger to clarify, but that only obscures the idiom. And then British Old Testament scholar Ian Provan, if the little one is a finger, this is the only place in the Old Testament where it is so, Given the location of the loins and the lower part of the body and the fact that power and sexual potency were very much associated in the ancient Near East, it may well be that the little one is in fact a male sexual organ. It is certainly not beyond the bounds of possibility that young men might respond to a challenge by using language containing fairly basic sexual imagery. Whatever is the case, the claim is that Rehoboam is a bigger man than his father, a power to be reckoned with. This is locker room talk. Really? You're asking us what to do? Tell them you're a bigger man than your father. And here's how you... And on it goes. Haughtiness, arrogance. And it ends in a catastrophic decision. Dividing the nation. So... If you're looking for a character quality in someone whose counsel you seek, pay attention to humility. 2007-2008, the eminently talented Atlanta Falcons quarterback Michael Vick was in deep trouble. Raising dogs, fighting dogs, he had gotten in trouble with the law to the degree that he would ultimately serve almost two years in a federal prison. 
I remember listening to a sports talk show during that time where Deion Sanders, arguably the best cornerback in NFL history, where Deion Sanders was talking about Michael. And Deion said, I saw Michael not that long ago. And when I saw him walk into the room and saw the posse that was surrounding him, that was Dion's word, I said to myself, Michael's in trouble. This was before he knew anything about the dogs. He just looked at who was surrounding him and he said, Michael's in trouble. Because Dion knew that if you're going to lie down with dogs, you're going to get up with fleas. It's not going to leave you unaffected. So look for humility in that person. Look for humility in their counsel. Remember what Jesus said. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart. He just changed the world, but he's humble in heart. The German historian Christian Meyer tells of Julius Caesar returning from one of his great conquests. He says, Caesar was rolling into Rome with a great retinue, a crowd, a parade in front of him. The soldiers up front, the prisoners of war, the servants, banners flying, music playing. And there he rode in a chariot pulled by three white stallions with servants, sh servants shading him and fanning him. But, says Meyer, right next to Caesar was a servant, a slave, who had been placed there with one message who kept speaking into Caesar's ear, you are human. Remember, you are human. Remember, you are human. We need that voice in our ear. We need to remember that. It will drive us to the humility that clarifies so much about life, keep us from climbing the wrong ladders and chasing the wrong rainbows. Remember, you're human. So you're at a fork in the road, trying to sort out a decision. Is it option, B, B, option A, character? That's what I need. Or maybe you waited and today you want to say, oh, it's option B, counsel. But hang on, we got three to go. So maybe hold off. Even while you're looking for somebody to speak into your life, who has capability and objectivity and humility. Even while you're doing that, I would like to remind you of one thing. Hope you remember this. There was an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah who wrote some words that would centuries later be applied to Jesus. In fact, Jesus would become known by this name. I hope you remember this as you sort through your decision. Because what Isaiah would call him, and what he's still called to this day, was this. Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Remember, like the old hymn writer said, that Wonderful Counselor is only a prayer away. Hey, what an awesome message from Pastor Randy and such wonderful worship from our worship team. 
Woo! If you guys liked what you heard or you want to get uh, give back in some type of way, you can text LLUC to 77977. If you're moved by it, we'd love to have the support and uh, continue you know, bringing you this worship online and in person. There's another way that you can give, actually, too. You can go to LLUC.org uh, slash give. You'll be able to choose the Anthem tab, and you'll be able to support that way. Also to follow, we have lots coming up. Uh, some news coming up in October, some very exciting news. So to stay tuned, follow us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, um, and all social media platforms. And uh, hey, we are so glad that you chose to join with us. We hope that you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>